This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. The Denver Nuggets are back. Training camp starts today down at Ball Arena. The champs get going and are joining us to talk about it is uh, Mile High Sports' Ryan Blackburn, of course, the host of the Pick, Axe, and Roll podcast, which is terrific and, by the way, has been going on uh, all off-season, so you need to be able to to check it out. It's just, he does, He's not stopping, so very nice to have an opportunity uh, to talk to Ryan Blackburn. NBA Blackburn is the handle on Twitter. Uh, Ryan, thanks for joining us. It's, it's exciting to see the Nuggets back. The thought process after seeing the, 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 you know, the Larry O'Brien trophy was in the house, the players had an opportunity to talk about it. It, it seemed like the word of the day was complacency and how to avoid it. Yeah, there's definitely some of that. And, and thank you guys for having me on. Uh, it felt like a lot of the messaging around this team was how do you provide the necessary pressure and intensity and focus for a team that's just won the championship for a team that, well, the starters are pretty stable. The starters are the, the best starters in the NBA, but is the actual team itself a little bit new? Yeah, there, there's there's a group on the second unit that you're still trying to figure out how, how that's going to work. And they'll have 82 games to figure it out. But I do think that complacency and the lack thereof is, is a good stepping stone here. And I'm, I'm looking forward to see how they approach it. Michael Malone seems to be pretty confident. And I think the rest of the team takes his example pretty well. How important is it? that the Nuggets finished the regular season with the best record in the West as they did last year. Uh, Chauncey Billows made the point uh, in Sean Keeler's Denver Postcom this morning that the year after the Pistons won the title with Chauncey helping to lead the way in 2004, they started 7-7, seven and seven, and at Christmas they were 13-12. and 12, And though they didn't win the championship, they were right back in the finals again. Uh, do the Nuggets need to repeat as conference champions again? Or is peaking, being healthy going into the playoffs, a hell of a lot more important than what your one lost record ends up being? I definitely think uh, the peaking at the right time is the more proper course of action. And actually, it was, it was Calvin Booth who made specific mention of that when talking yesterday. He said along the lines of this team doesn't need to win 65 games or go undefeated in October or November in order to uh, prove that they are the champions and prove that they are the, the most dangerous team. No, it's about getting hot at the right time. It's about playing your best basketball when it matters most. And, we saw that this last year, actually. That even they did not Denver come Lopes... roaring down the stretch last year in the regular season. <laughs> exactly. We all know that. Their March yeah, record they... was mediocre at best. They, they they didn't need to play the best basketball in October or November, and they didn't need to play it in March and early April. They played it in late April, May, and early June, and, and that was what really got them over the hump. Uh, I think this team knows exactly what they have. Uh, at least from the starting perspective, but they will use the 82 games to figure out what to do with the bench unit to figure out whether Christian Brown is that guy off the bench that they can rely on consistently. 
and whether Peyton Watson is the guy that they hope he can be as well. Uh, there, there are a lot of questions there, but I do think that the right framing is uh, it's it's certainly there for this Nuggets team. They they do not have any questions about what they need to do. It's just about getting it done. A lot of additions, obviously, in the offseason, including a lot of, of rookies. You know, when you start looking at that bench, and I know it's it's day one of training camp, but what do you sort of envision as it stands today? How do you think that works? We know that. Uh, presumably Christian Brown steps up and becomes the sixth man and replacing Bruce Brown. Uh, Peyton Watson, obviously a big part of that equation, but I mean, behind Christian Brown, what do you think we're looking at? You know, a lot of, there's a lot of young players and uh, there are also additions like Justin holiday that kind of got lost in the shuffle. Yeah. I think the only guy that you can really uh, etch in stone and, and honestly it may, it may even be going too far with that is Christian Brown because uh, he, he is the incumbent. He's the holdover from the championship rotation and played in 19 of the 20 playoff games that Denver had and, and had some great moments. And I think he's come back better. We will see what happens in preseason and in the regular season, but I think that he will be that main guy. Uh, the guy that you didn't mention is Reggie Jackson. Uh, he has been the talk of the offseason for Denver. He's the guy that they re-signed in the offseason relatively early on in the process. And there were, there were some grumblings. There were some moanings from Nuggets fans about whether that was the right course of action. Well, he wasn't in the rotation during the playoffs. He really wasn't right. No, absolutely. It was, it was Bruce Brown, but this team does need a backup point guard. And and whether it's going to be Reggie Jackson or Jalen Pickett, I think that Reggie Jackson's going to get the first crack. And and it sounds like things are going well, at least at the, at the outset. So we will see what happens with there, but I think you're looking at a bench rotation at the start uh, that features a, a five-man bench with Reggie Jackson, Christian Brown, Justin Holiday, Peyton Watson, and Zeke Naji. You're going three wings. You're going one big man, and it's not the biggest big man in Zeke Naji, but they're going to switch everything. They're going to try to play with defense and length and athleticism. And then Reggie is going to be the straw that stirs the drink on the offensive end. And we'll, we'll see where that goes. My guess is it won't go well, but that's where they'll start. Yeah, I, 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 I like what you said at the end because you can start the season and maybe rest some people in November, December, January, and even rest them during the final month. But you know, maybe in the beginning of the year it does make – sense to play a lot of guys and let two or three of them either play their way in or play their way out of the rotation. I I would think from what you're saying that Brown and Watson and Jackson are mainstays. They're they're the three guys off the bench who would expect to get the minutes. And I've even heard DeAndre Jordan mentioned it, but since you didn't mention him, What's the feeling around DeAndre Jordan uh, at this point, other than he likes going to see you football games? Well, DeAndre is a, he's a fantastic veteran leader. And I think what this team needs, especially at the outset, will be somebody who can uh, direct traffic on the defensive end. They want that to be Zeke Naji. I, I want to make that perfectly clear. Uh, they, they would like Zeke Naji to take that spot. However, if he's not able to, if they don't feel like he is uh, up to the challenge, then they will go with DeAndre Jordan, at least at the beginning. But 
that is not the recipe for success for Denver's big man rotation in the in the upcoming playoff rounds. Like they they I don't think you can feel very good about an eight or nine man playoff rotation that includes DeAndre Jordan playing consistent minutes. Now, if it's spot minutes here or there, then that's fine. But the team needs to figure out what they have with Zeke Naji. This is his biggest opportunity to succeed. And I would expect them to try to give him a long runway to see if he could develop some consistency, maybe avoid getting hurt, and see what a switchable, uh, aggressive defensive unit can look like with him kind of manning the five. The thoughts, Ryan, we're, we're talking with Brian Blackburn of Mile High Sports, uh, the host of the Pick Act and Roll podcast. You can check that out anywhere you'd like to get podcasts. And, of course, he hosts it on YouTube as well. So just search for that. You'll be able to do that and catch it as well. But, uh, Ryan, when you look at the Western Conference, I guess I look at it, and while I do have respect for what the Sacramento Kings are building, I look at the Nuggets, I look at the Lakers, I look at the Suns. I think the Suns, if they can stay healthy or a threat, I think that's in question. The Lakers, I think, have built an awful lot of uh, impressive things in a short amount of time, and we know that uh, they're very unhappy with how the season ended, not just losing the Nuggets, but losing in the sweep. Is there another team in the West that you're keeping your eye on besides those two as contenders at this point? Contenders is hard because you just don't know what these teams are going to evolve into, and, and there's, there's a hope from, from all of these organizations at the beginning, but you just never know what it's going to look like. I think if I was to pick one, it would be Memphis. And here's why Memphis, they went through kind of a season of hell last year off the court, especially they were not in a good frame of mind. And after taking the off season to kind of cleanse themselves of that, John Morant is back. He'll be out for the first 25 games. That's yes. going to be a storyline for that, sure. Hey, that's, uh, that's almost a third of the season though. That's a long no, absolutely, time. and then that is that is going to be a concern of theirs, at least at the beginning of the regular season. But they did trade for Marcus Smart, and Desmond Bain is going to be even better. I think, and they subtracted of- Brooks. Is that a big part of what you're kind of suggesting oh, yeah. here? That, that culture? they cleanse themselves? <laughs> absolutely, that is a the purification of sorts of of their rotation and trying to get their heads on straight. Uh, John Morant has needed to go through it. And I think that he has gone through it for sure. We'll see if he comes out on the other side looking like the right star leader for them. Uh, but just uh, uh, Dylan Brooks, not Justin, uh, Dylan Brooks will yeah. be out of there. Uh, he's on Houston now. We'll see what that looks like for the Houston Rockets. But I think it'll be better for the Memphis Grizzlies. Their offense will be better as a result. And I'm not sure how much of their defense is going to fall off because they bring in Marcus Smart. Uh, they are still going to have some great kind of bench guys that they can throw in the mix there. Luke Kennard is going to be on their team for the entire season, providing some spacing and Jaron Jackson is going to get better. So they still have some developments and they've got some young guys in the pipeline that I look to and think, man, this could be a really, really good team. Whether they're a contender or not remains to be seen, but I think that they're probably the most dangerous mix of offensive and defensive talent outside of the Nuggets, Lakers, and Suns. There is a lot of talent on, on the Nuggets as they continue to try to fill out that bench behind the starters. Out of their three rookies, uh, Julian Strouther, Jalen uh, Pickett, Hunter Tyson, which one of them do you think gets significant minutes first, and where do they fit in the rotation? It's so difficult because I think the guy who's going to be the most ready at the beginning of the year will be Jalen Pickett, but I don't think that there's a spot for him. 
I think that Reggie Jackson is going to be the leading guy at the point guard spot for, for the second unit. The team will need a veteran. And if that works and if Reggie actually plays well, it's hard to play both Reggie and Jalen together because it's a little bit too small. So then you look at the positionality of things and with the injury to Vlaco Chanchar this offseason, the torn ACL, I'm looking at Hunter Tyson as the guy that probably makes the most sense just strategically within the rotation. You can move PJ uh, or not PJ Peyton Watson to the three Christian Brown to the two and play Hunter Tyson at the four and feel really good about the spacing and the size and the rebounding and the versatility of that group. Still, Uh, whether that actually happens or not, I'm not sure Julian Strother would fit in and, and he has a very specific role that I think could be helpful but I'm not sure he's ready defensively yet. I'm not sure he's ready to fit into a system yet. I do like Jalen Pickett. I do like Julian Strother, but Hunter Tyson's probably the answer to this question. Final question for me. I understand and I believe it is sincere when Jamal Murray says I'd rather be a champion than an all-star, but I still would wonder maybe right behind being a champion again, being an all-star for the first time might be important to him. Do you agree? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I feel I feel very strongly that it would mean a lot to him. What he says on, on the first day of media day versus what he's actually thinking and what he exactly. what he's hoping to accomplish when the games actually start – I think are very different. He was hit with a bunch of questions and the nuggets were hit with a bunch of questions about how important it is to start October, November very well. Michael Malone said that he wants this team to hit the ground running. And he also said very clearly, very blatantly, I want Jamal Murray to be an all-star for the first time. I want him to be an all NBA player for the first time. And in order to do that, Jamal has to get started sooner. I've done some data work on him. He is only, he's only like, he's never scored 20 points per game in the first 25 games of the season. Right. He's never averaged that. He has never, like he's only shot above 35% from three once early on in the season. Interesting. That, was his rook, that was his rookie season as a backup shooting guard, not as the point guard. So he works himself into shape and he is a great player by the end of the season Early on, he has never been great, and that will be the leap that he needs to make in order to be an all-star this year. So it's it's incumbent on Jamal. It's incumbent on the Nuggets if they want that to be their goal. They are going to have to get the best of Jamal early on in the year, and I suspect that they will. I think that Jamal's going to hit the ground running this time around, though the data and history says otherwise. Last one from me too, Ryan. I, I we're talking with Ryan Blackburn of the Pickaxe and Roll podcast and uh, all the Nuggets coverage over Mile High Sports. And I, I, I look at the way the season ended. I look at the the transformation over the course of the regular season and over the playoffs. And it feels as there there's and it's always kind of felt that way that there is a next level that Michael Porter Jr. can get to. Do you believe the maturity has matched the talent and the health is matched? And what would that leap look like this season? First of all, I think Michael Porter Jr. is extremely mature, and some of the answers that he has given in previous years, he's not that player anymore. He's not that person anymore, if I'm being honest. He has a new lease on life 
in my opinion, over the course of the last calendar year or so, and has approached everything from the perspective of how can I help the team win and how can I operate within my role as best as I can. Uh, I think that he will be better. I think that he's a basketball junkie. I think that the skill set that he continues to develop over the course of these next uh, couple of seasons is going to be even better and more dynamic and diverse than what he has provided to the Nuggets so far. He's recovering from the back injuries and the back surgeries, and that's always going to be in the back of everybody's mind. However, this is the first offseason in a long time that he hasn't had to think about his health. He's been great. He's been very healthy over the course of this last calendar year. And I think that that will help him uh, continue to push forward. And I think that adding some skills to his, um, his just general thing, what he does this year, I think that's going to be a very, very important piece of the Nuggets offense going forward. They're not going to have Bruce Brown anymore. They're not going to have the amazing depth off the bench where you can just have somebody come in and, 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 replace him in particular situations. They need him to be great. And if the better of themselves, they need him to continue to handle the ball a little bit better, to run some pick and rolls every now and then, and defense honest while Jokic and Murray go to work. Uh, I think he's in line for a career year. He is Ryan Blackburn. Make sure you give him a follow at NBA Blackburn. Host of the Pickaxe and Roll podcast and all the coverage of My Life Sports. The Nuggets season tips off, and I am not joking, everybody. Three weeks from tonight with the Lakers coming in town, the Nuggets getting their rings, and the Lakers having to sit there and watch it. So make sure you give Ryan a follow oh, and stay on that. top of everything oh, he's putting together. Uh, make sure you tune in and subscribe to the Pick X and Roll podcast. You can do that wherever you get your podcast, and you can catch it all right here at the My Life Sports app, too. Get it right on your phone at your convenience. Ryan, thanks so much, and looking forward to talking to you even more as the season gets underway. A shortest offseason in Nuggets history, but I think they'll take it. Away. Oh, wow. Yeah, here we go. Thanks so much, Ryan. Appreciate it. It is uh, it is fascinating to think of that. I mean, it's three weeks. Uh, that, that's what happens when you're the champions. Uh, things go quick. The preseason will be hopping upon it, and then we'll uh, be at it. But at, for, for the Nuggets, the idea that of complacency sneaking in is, is kind of fascinating. And it, it is going to be a challenge, I think, for them going forward a little bit. I think this is a team that knows what they accomplished. I think they know they're good enough to do it again. But teams have been good enough to do it again before, and they don't. And it's difficult. This is going to be uh, the next step for for Michael Malone and for the players themselves. An interesting quote by Chauncey Billups in the Denver Post today. Yes. That I think we should talk about because it. you think about coaching, maybe this isn't about his coaching in the early going as much as you think. It may be about what kind of players do you have. We'll let you know what Chauncey said and hear a little bit from the Nuggets themselves next on Miley Sports. Sandy Cuff and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Chauncey Billups, of course, former Denver Nugget, former champion, now head coach of the Portland Trailblazers, division rival for the Denver Nuggets, had a fascinating 
interview with Sean Keeler in the Denver Pub. And I, I want to read you his quotes from it because they're all they're all good. And then lead into a couple little bit of sound from the Nuggets. He said, the biggest thing, and me being in that position and being there before, the biggest thing is just don't get bored, man. That playoff run is so intense, and every game is just incredible. And you come back to regular season where it's just like, oh, here we go. These are regular season games. I want that fire and intensity. Well, you won't get that again until the playoffs. So a lot of times you get bored with that process, and it's hard to defend against it. But I think obviously they've got the players and the coach to do it. But that's the biggest thing. You just can't get bored. There is something to the effect. When we have seen teams in every sport, Sandy, the teams that are the perennial also rans, the teams that are never considered the championship contenders, that they break through and they win one. And it can that, that boredom can set in and the idea that, look, no one thought we'd ever get this one. We've already accomplished more than anyone thinks we, we ever could. Uh, in, in, the Denver Nuggets were never talked about realistically by anybody on the national level. They're never taken seriously as championship pretenders. Now they are. Now the idea is because they win two in a row. And if they don't, it's not a failure by any stretch. Oh, and understanding, no, any more than right. the Avalanche failed last and year. When they understanding that also means that it's sort of human nature to realize, okay, now we just got to go through this 82-season, 82-game grind again until the games that matter happen. Yeah. And what Chauncey oh. explains is very real. That's the challenge. And especially when That's you're not, I get it, if you're, the Yan- you're a Yankees or a Lakers or a Patriots or a team that wins all the time, you feel like you're part of something that continues to happen, right? But you can't take winning for granted. It's hard to do. You can't, but, it's, but it's, it becomes a little easier when it's the standard for the organization. That hasn't, yeah. and the Nuggets are trying to be set that standard. The, the challenge is not to take winning for granted. And, you know, you, you could talk about it, and it, you rightly, as Chauncey does here, identify Borden as a major obstacle. There's only one team, the headline is interested, and I kind of knew uh, what what the column would be like. Billups says only one team can keep Nuggets from repeating. Well, that team is the Nuggets. The, the, the Nuggets right. could grow bored, and they could uh, develop some lazy habits, shortcuts. Um, I I do think, and I love Christian Brown, and I it seems as if Peyton Watson has put on some weight in the right places and mm-hmm. is ready to play minutes that he could not have physically maintained last year. But the bench is a question mark. And I, I thought Ryan was very honest when he said that could be an issue early on, sorting things out. Uh, one of our complaints with Malone last year during the regular season was that the bench rotation seemed to develop in a rather haphazard way. Mm -hmm. And there were weird moments during the season uh, when he seemed to forget about certain players, even starters like Michael Porter Jr. at times. And you you always wonder about the minutes Jokic and Murray are getting during the season. Now, Murray, at least at the beginning of last year, had to be monitored coming off a very serious ACL injury. 
he was better than I thought he'd be, but he wasn't performing anywhere near the level that we saw him reach during the playoffs. Right, right. And that's the as early Ryan Blackburn alluded to as well. Right. He hasn't started so as well even when healthy. You can't go crazy over stuff like that. But at the same time, you don't want habits to develop that will be difficult to break. No, uh, the Nuggets don't need undefeated months no. to prove their legitimacy. No. I think it's incumbent upon us to point out that even when they won last year, I don't think people realized how good they were by the end of the playoffs, especially the last two rounds, how good they were. You know, they lost some games that they could have won early in the playoffs. But, you know, the last two rounds, they they had one bad moment, one bad game, and it was game two of the finals. Otherwise, they were eight and one. And they finished 16 and four, which is exactly what the Avalanche did the year before on their way to the championship. But there, there are things you can't control. And injuries is one of those things. And how quickly you can put Brown and Watson into positions of serious responsibility. But complacency, as Chauncey Billups talked about, is one of the things that you can control. Michael Porter Jr. had a chance to talk about trying to avoid that. I think it definitely will be will be harder if we go back to like get more motivated. Um, but like the good thing about our team is we still have a lot of individual motivation. You know, Aaron wants to be a first time All Star. I want to be an All Star. Jamal, you know, Joker's done a lot that can be done in the league. You know, two MVPs, the championship, Finals MVP. But he's still motivated. Um, um, you know, he's just such, so consistent as a person. That's a gift of his that he'll be he'll be on point as well. So I think that um, if motivation was a factor, I think we all have that. But we know it's going to be a lot harder. And we see the teams that, that are getting put together around the league, and it's it's a crazy uh, it's a crazy league right now. You know, with the moves Boston made, Phoenix, um, the Lakers, Milwaukee. You know, there's a lot of really really good teams in the league right now. That's a thoughtful, interesting answer because it, it also goes along with what Ryan Blackburn said. Perhaps for this team, because remember it was pointed out that Cole Jokic doesn't even have an all-star as a teammate and they just won the title. Ordinarily, you hear the idea, well, players like to be an all-star. Oh, they're putting themselves first of the team. Well, not necessarily. And in this case, if, if the motivation is I want to show the world that not only am I a champion, but I'm a le- legitimately all-star caliber player – and you go out there and play like an all-star, and that happens to be your motivation? I don't think there's anything wrong no. with that. And it can be aspirational and, right. just, and and be just as motivating a factor. I think we both know that they aren't going to have four all-stars. No, uh, but they it, probably it, will have two. Uh, I, I think the championship I, gets them the reputation. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, but, but the, Damian Lillard going I, I uh, east you, over the You have spot. to avoid the temptation just because other teams – loaded up on superstars and look on paper to be dangerous. That's really not the nugget way. They have one star that everybody recognizes. And 
it's okay, certainly during the regular season, if other players are motivated for the right reasons to show that they're all-stars, but they don't do it in a manner that suggests, well, if I average 20 points a game, right. I have a chance to be an all-star, but if it's 19.2, I won't And it be. sounded like what Porter Jr. was talking about. Right. It didn't sound like that at all. He basically wanted to say, Look, we have a next level we can the get Nuggets to. The Nuggets were champions, not because they had the most all-stars. Because they had the best starting five they in the unit. They had the best starting five, and it was the best starting five because they blended together. Yep. And then you had, in effect, a six-starter in Bruce Brown, who could, when called upon, and he was both during the regular season and especially during the playoffs, he could give you starters minutes. And you could have him in the game with two or three minutes left. And it's five points either way. And you could have Michael Porter sitting on the bench and obviously wanting to play but understanding that Bruce Brown is a starting caliber NBA player. And now he has the money <laughs> to back that yeah. up, back up that claim. Uh, but I I don't even think with Bruce Brown in Indiana, being an all-star, he's being paid like one, but being an all-star isn't everything to him. And I, I like what I'm hearing from all these people. And of course, from Aaron Gordon, you won't hear much of anything in, in that way. I'm, I'm convinced that Aaron Gordon found the ideal partner in Jokic and more than any other nugget, including Murray, Gordon has figured out, gee, just by cutting to the basket, moving without the ball a little bit, he'll find me, and that's three or four easy buckets a game. Well, and I think I can Gordon's case on. is interesting because he's a guy that was drafted to be the guy, franchise caliber guy, fifth overall and pick. And he grew tired and, of and that. And he realized when that's not really company. what I am and and give him credit for understanding, hey, you know what? I'm good at this. You know, but maybe I'm not the lead singer in the band. Maybe I'm better as the bass player. Well, that works too. And he seems to be perfectly happy with that. And I, I think for the Nuggets, losing Bruce Brown hurts. But the, the core of that, is still there and with a year of experience under their belt as such. Right. And and I like those chances. And we we talked, you talked about Jamal Murray and the the starts to his seasons and they've been slow and they don't need him to be playoff Jamal right out the gate. But he was asked specifically about his expectations as well. What's kind of your mindset going into this season? What do you want to accomplish? Another championship. Anything else? Uh, I just want to know a championship. All-star or NBA? I'd rather be a champion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'd rather be a champion. A lot of guys are all-stars, not champions. So if we can get another champion, I think, uh, I think we'll be on the right track. I think it, two things can be true. I think deep down, of course, he wants to be an all-star. It feels slighted in the sense that he's been properly recognized for his playoff performance, but perhaps hasn't been recognized as clearly for what he's done during the regular season and sacrifices he has made and so on. But not for a second this year can Jamal Murray feel as if to win a championship, he has to outplay Devin Booker. 
right. in a series. Right. Or Anthony Edwards well, and in I, a series. Or LeBron James in a series. He doesn't have to do that for the Nuggets to win. And I think viscerally he understands that as much as he would like to be an all-star and as much as his coach will sing his praises and try to lobby for him, campaign for him to be all NBA this year. I, I think Jokic doesn't even think that way. Jokic doesn't think when he's going up against Anthony Davis, I've got to clearly outplay him in every way or we can't win. Now there may have been a time when that I think that was Murray in his career earlier. Uh, and, Not and now. I'm, I'm saying even with Jokic, maybe there was a maybe. time earlier in his career where he felt in order to win, I've got to be clearly better. But now he's got guys that he but trusts now, that he can build around. Now, right, and they can trust in one another, and particularly in Jokic, that Jokic will always be the most unselfish guy on the court. In Murray's case, I think there is also a very real, of course he'd like to be an all-star, but there is a very real, I think when you you get that and it settles in and he's going to have a ring in three weeks when the Nuggets open their season, I think there is a point of going, well, you know what, but I got one of these. And I I wasn't a passenger on this ride. Devin Booker doesn't have one of those, and Anthony Edwards doesn't have one of those. And Lillard doesn't have one of those. And I know he's in another conference. I know he's in another conference. But to think that the Nuggets didn't pay attention to that, and Lillard's I, got I a think chase. They did, and the and they Nuggets and the Nuggets they, built it right here. They don't care about Homegrown. it. They don't care about it. I don't think they care during right the regular season. He's in the other conference. However, you know, if you do face them in the, the finals, NBA finals, okay, again, the attitude has to be whether it's Murray or anybody else. There isn't a guy over there I have to outplay no, in order for it's us not, it's to the, win. The it's the not Nuggets about that. versus the Bucks. Damian Lillard has been outplaying oh, the, people yeah. on opposing oh, teams in the playoffs for years and losing series. Mm-hmm. And the irony is, I thought the most impressive Portland Trailblazer playoff series in the Damian Lillard era was their seven-game win over the Nuggets when they won the seventh game here. And you know what? Lillard was terrible in the seventh game. C.J. McCollum won the game. His teammates picked him up. Now, there are plenty of games in which he carried the team, but when they scored, I think their greatest victory of the Damian Lillard era in Portland it wasn't Damian Lillard who was the star, and that's the point. And other te- let the other teams load up on stars, superstars. And Giannis and Lillard may make magic together. They might. I like might. Boston's trade for I, Holiday. I do, too. I, 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 think, I think they're better with Holiday than they would have been for another year with Marcus Smart. I think they're a better team. But again, the Nuggets win not because they're individually better. And I was reading a column recently that suggested that that was necessary as a motivating factor, these individual matchups. And it's not, that's not why or how the Nuggets won. And the beauty is they understand 
that. The Nuggets will get their season going in three weeks. Of course, preseason will start before that training camp underway. Now, the Denver Broncos, after getting a win, unimpressive as it may have been, it is a win. They can look to build on it. They're going to have to do better at defense. I'm going to give you, well, some numbers that are ugly. There's one number that's really, really ugly that I'll share with you next. They have to fix on Miley Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Welcome back. We turn our attention to the Denver Broncos. We were kind of forget of the whole show. We just we're trying to talk about some better teams. But the Broncos trying to go to two and three with the win over the Jets. Although if the Jets' performance against the Chiefs didn't spook you a little bit, uh, maybe it should be. The Jets ranked ahead of the Denver Broncos in ESPN's power rankings for whatever that's. Well, you talk about comebacks. And honestly, because of the nature of the competition, I know the Bronco comeback succeeded. Yes. They won the game, yes. but it came against the Bears. Worst team the, in the Jets league. were down 17 to nothing to the world champions. With their backup quarterback. Came back and tied the game at 20 They're and 20. Much maligned I thought it was a better comeback than the Broncos' comeback was, considering the nature of uh, the opposition. And in most rankings... This week, the Jets are clearly ranked ahead of the Broncos. Almost anywhere you look, well, whether they're, they're analytically based or their defense is uh, better. subjective. Zach Wilson went 28 for 39. Yes, he had the fumble. 28 for 39, 245, and two touchdowns. Didn't throw an interception with sack twice. And had a better rating than Mahomes. Mahomes, yeah, in, in, in pass One rating. of the rare games where the team whose quarterback had a better rating but not a better QBR, as it turns out. Not, not a better, better QBR. And that is just a further validation about Russell as to why Wilson. it's a better metric. But. Here, here is the confusing thing about Russell Wilson this year. And I, I think because his stats are so uh, disparate, his passer rating is 106.7. That's fourth in the league. His QBR is barely average, 51.3, mm-hmm. 19th in the league. Sam Howell's ahead of him, and Garoppolo's right behind him in QBR. But in rating, he's, what, less than eight and a half rating points behind Brock Purdy, who's number one number at 115.1. You know, the most impressive quarterback to me is it's Purdy, who somehow continues to get knocked, even though... In any game he's played with the 49ers for at least three quarters, he's undefeated. <laughs> They're lost, and right. He's got the best rating and the best QBR. That well, means to me he's the best Fortunately, the Broncos ever. don't have to deal with him. They have to deal with Zach Wilson, and maybe they you would do. have said a couple of weeks ago, and, ah, no problem. Yeah. But here's the thing. His numbers are still pretty Zach bad. Zach Wilson against the Chiefs completed 71.8% of his passes. And now, he's still at 58.5% for the year. But here's the number I said was going to be jaw-dropping. The Denver Broncos is a team. Opposing completion yeah. percentage. Obviously, they're dead last. That's not a shock. Uh, you look at the first half that, the perfect first half that Tua Tagovailoa had, and then you look at the nearly perfect one that Justin Fields had. But, Sandy, 
We're four games into the season. The Denver Broncos are allowing an opposing completion percentage of 78.1. And just to give you a perspective. Eight. 78. I, I, I can't even. But it, let, let me put that in context. That doesn't seem real. Put, put that in context, though. The best quarterback in the league in completion percentage. Well, I was just going to say. Is Josh Allen, and it's 74.8. Yeah. That's the, the perspective. The Broncos are, are, are giving up a completion percentage better than any quarterback in the NFL. They are making every player who takes snaps look like the best quarterback in the league by far. That in terms is of completion percentage, yards per pass, touchdown percentage, no team has given up, not even the Bears, more than the 13 passing touchdowns given up by Denver. The Bears have given up 10. That's quite a gap after just four games. You've given up 13 touchdown passes in four games. You stick. And Patrick Satan has played in all four games. Uh, and even Justin Simmons has played in, what, two of those games or parts of two of those games? Uh, I mean, 13 passing touchdowns against uh, and the Justin completion Fields percentage, four out of five, four. almost four out of five. Justin Fields had four. And Justin Fields had a perfect rating in the first half, at least, of 158.3. Sandy, Justin Fields has played for two and a half seasons. Prior to the game against the Broncos, he had played in 30 games. This was the 31st game of his career. In the previous 30 games of his career combined, he had 27 touchdowns. Yeah. The Broncos gave him four. I, I, It doesn't even seem real that opposing quarterbacks are completing 78% of their passes. And it leads to a situation, by the way, the Broncos rushing defense is a much better, second worst in the league, allowing 5.6 per rush. And it leads to this. In the first half, first half alone, the Broncos are allowing 20 and even 20 points to lead Stunning. the league. Stunning. Or be dead last in the league the way you look at it. And so they find themselves in a situation where the offense has improved somewhat, but the defense has fallen off the edge of the earth. To, to levels well, that we have not seen in decades. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's a playoff caliber offense. I suspect it isn't. If if you're looking at 14 teams making the playoffs, and they, they're 14th in, in football power index. That's the and, and you and I didn't think they were a rating. playoff team, but the presumption no, was under no, Sean Payton, but, this team would progress. Uh, no, I, I understand, and in some ways they have. They have in some ways, offensively I, I think, for sure. And, and this is something I wanted to get in yesterday and it is uh now going to be hard to find but i believe in the scripted portion or what is generally considered to be the scripted portion of games uh this is in 2023 offensive epa per play on the first 15 plays mm-hmm. okay Miami, with Mike McDaniel and Tua, of course, 0.54. Number two, and by a healthy margin, Denver, Sean Payton calling the play, 0.46. So the scripts 
are excellent. Bears it out. If you just look at points per quarter, in the first quarter of games, Dallas leads the league at 9. Denver is second at 8.5. Okay. San Francisco is third. And then you have Kansas City, the Chargers, Buffalo, Washington, Seattle, and Detroit. This is EPA per play in the first 15 plays. My question would be, if they're so good on the scripted plays at the beginning of a game, why can't they come out of the locker room at halftime and have 15 plays that Mm -hmm. may not be quite as good, but are close? They have to be situational, but I, well, they have to be situational at the beginning of the game too. Right. And that to me, um, among the criticisms we made of Sean Payton, which I all of which I think have been fair, we ought to point to that number. But you know what? It's almost negated by how bad the defense has been, particularly in the last couple of games at the start. Now, I know they the Raiders game was 17-16, and Washington didn't do anything offensively until the second half. So the defense in the first two games at the beginning wasn't awful, but in the last two games, it has been bad. And the thing that worries me, Sean Payton's a head coach. He's not the head coach of offense. So we give him credit for the scripted portion of the game. He's the head coach of the team, though. He's responsible for the entire The whole team, team. right. And laying it all at Vance Joseph's feet is convenient, but it's not fair. Um, Even if you don't believe, as I do, and as his close friend Rick Perea suggested yesterday, he's not the right coach for this team right now. I, I don't know for whom he'd be the right coach, but anyway, here's what worries me. Peyton, in New Orleans, 2012 through 2015, when he had more control over personnel matters, The Saints produced the NFL's three worst single-season defensive EPA performances during that four-year stretch. The NFL's three worst single-season defensive EPA performances during those four years. Their defense ranked 126th out of 128 defensive seasons in those four years for the 32 teams. 2014, 127th, 2015, 128th. He's doing the drafting now here. I know it's only been one year. Right. But he's in charge here at least as much as he ever was in New Orleans, right? Mm -hmm. And they. Well, I would say arguably more. People who follow Saints say 12 through 15, he had more control over personnel than maybe ever coming off Bounty Gate. When he came back, he wanted to do everything. And that would concern me. He's the head coach of the team. Some of this defensive stuff we've been watching is on him. Of course it is. I mean, you're the head coach. That's how it shakes out. And you can pick on Vance Joseph as much as you want, but Sean Payton picked him and hired him as well. So for the Broncos, they have a lot of work to do this week. Uh, This is such a pivotal game. Uh, Two and three maybe changes their perspective. One and four, see ya. Absolutely. Hey, before we uh, step out very quickly, I want to talk about Our man, our performance psychologist extraordinaire, Dr. Rick Perea. I've known him for a decade. He's the best in the business. Get your checkup from the neck up from Dr. Perea, the former psychologist, the world champion Broncos in 15, work with Rockies and 
the defending world champion Nuggets as well. He also helps middle and high school performers to reach peak levels. Whether you're an everyday performer at work, at play, or at school, call Dr. P today at 720-287-0933, 720-287-0933, or look him up at Dr. P at think1number4u.org. That's think one for you.org. Well, that will do it for us, of course. Uh, thanks to Ryan Blackburn for joining us, talking a little bit about the uh, Denver Nuggets training camp underway down at Ballerina. The champs are back. Uh, thanks to Danny Bailey. He's the one that makes everything work. Everything you see, everything you hear, it's all Danny. So thanks so much to Danny Bailey. Uh, we will be back, of course, uh, tomorrow, but it's time for us to step aside. Thanks to everyone who listens, by the way. However you do it, thank you so much. If you haven't had a chance to get the My Life Sports app, Go get that as well. And then you can check out, by the way, that terrific pickaxe and roll podcast that Ryan Blackford puts together because you'll want to catch up on the Nuggets as they get moving. That'll do it for us. For Sandy Clough, I'm Sean Drotar. We're out. We keep it right here on My Life Sports.